Comics Inebriated, a podcast about the history of fiction and nonfiction in comics, along with current events, hosted by comic creators Liana Kangas and permit guest Matt Emmons. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Comics Inebriated. I'm Liana, co-host, artist, uh, sometimes writer, apparently, and I'm joined by Matt Emmons, writer. Just a writer today, uh, and co-host of Comics Inebriated, and we're joined by guest Ashley Gallagher. Ashley Gallagher, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Just chilling. It's sunny out, so I've got my vitamin D smile on. Yeah, you got your glasses on, and yeah. then you got your 3 p.m. drink, which is a, a what? <laughs> what do we call it? Um, this is a quote-unquote forgotten cocktail called the Communist. I also have it in my We're special. In a... Nicholas Cage from Cage what movie? Forever? From what movie? Um, this is oh okay. I can't remember what movie this particular oh. long hair. Someone wears long hair and we'll it... A... is it the wait, wait, wait. rock? Hold it right there. Is it, hold it right is there. it the rock? Maybe incredible yeah okay. we're gonna do a quick cheers I, but you're gonna hold it like that I gotta, right. yeah oh yeah right um hell nice. yes incredible i screenshotted it too because we'll oh, we'll put it out online be like what movie is this from <laughs> it's yeah, like I'll do that. I'll kind do of that embarrassing tonight. that i don't know but i'm pretty sure it's the rock it's the one where there's like a prison situation well, now i'm kind do... of like sad that you weren't talking about nicholas cage today but what's um What's in this drink that's in this cup? So, um, you know, I'm not really sure why it's called the communist. I think it's because it's kind of like a rusty brownish red. Not I thought like you were going to say, I'm not red. sure what's in it. And I was like, you oh. made it though. <laughs> I just threw some shit <laughs> like, I just threw and shit in. Yeah. Um, so this is um, gin, orange juice, um, a little bit of lemon juice, Cherry brandy and a couple dashes of orange bitters. That sounds delicious. So much better the than what I've got. Yes, the bitters are like not a classic part of the cocktail, but um, you know, just it's add a little extra citrus. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it probably shapes the drink. You know, yeah, it gives it a little more body. For a gin drink, I'm never <laughs> seeing a brownish color for that. Like, I definitely would have imagined that it would be kind of like a creamy color, but sure, boy, it looks. You know, it looks a little bit like a paper plane from the outside looking in. You know? Oh yeah, okay. Like That's why I, I went for the whiskey because when I pulled yeah. up the recipe, I kind of was like, I don't know, this looks like a whiskey drink, so I just like poured the whiskey, and I was like, oh, whoops, it's a gin drink. <laughs> I, I didn't see that in an email. I might have been an email I had, but I didn't see it. So it's okay. I, I sent my it like cup. literally 15 minutes ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes me feel vaguely better. I yeah. usually just, just miss the email, so it's just my fault. I just grabbed my big cup that I uh, borrowed from a Mexican restaurant in college, and then I filled it with vodka, and then I'm drinking it. So, you okay? I'm sorry, Mister. Like I hate soda water. Like there's also grenadine in, in it. It's like if a Shirley Temple was. It is adult. an adult Shirley Temple. Yeah, you know what's not outdated? Nick Cage. Speaking so of, true. Yeah, evergreen, timeless. But you know what is absolutely busted and dated? A certain subject that a certain somebody is here to talk about. Wait. <laughs> Why is it busted? I don't know. <laughs> You're just making me. shit up off the fly. I love this. I don't know what it is. 
So I'm trying my <laughs> Speaking of things I don't know about. Ashley is taken back immediately. Ashley is about happening? to tell me. It might me? not be busted, but it might be busted. Yeah. What we can it? we can tie in the bustedness at the end. We can we can wrap I think it all I up. I mixed it up with something else. Okay. So what, <laughs> what is what is the subject? What is this thing that is a little maybe not busted? So today we're talking about my favorite comics related drunk rant, which is um, the establishment and eventual demise of the comics code. Question number one: What is what is the comics code? A better question is what was it? Because it's better true question. that it no yes. longer it it no longer exists, um, and we'll get into why that's the case. Um, but what the comics code was a self censorship body started by uh, the major comic book publishers in the early 50s to regulate the content of comic books. It was very strict, especially when it first started. And it made it so that you really couldn't have any fun in comics. Um, you couldn't like, say the word horror, right? Right, yeah. You, I do know about this. Yeah, that's all I know. That's that's it. true. It, it Not outlawed, because it wasn't a mm. law, but like mm-hmm. forbade the use of words like horror, terror um in comics um as well as like you know in terms of the images you could show Mm -hmm. really um you couldn't have any sort of like supernatural spooky things like there was a long list which specifically included werewolves ghouls draculas um they weren't ready for it they were specifically not ready for draculas i remember that vampire is real that's the real question here Uh, yeah well, to the censorship body, they were very w- real, real and a, a very real threat to the health of <laughs> Apparently. the hearts and minds yeah. of America. Very much so. <laughs> but yeah, do you want? Um, that's kind of like it. It it kind of sounds really silly out of context, but when you add all the context in, it's actually like a really fascinating subject, um, and has a lot to do with sort of like the cycle of moral panics that we continue Mm -hmm. to see to this day um you know like you may be familiar with like the satanic panic of like the 70s and 80s oh boy am i ever yes Uh Mm -hmm. or like video game panics of the 90s yeah or like the D &D panic which was Mm -hmm. in i forget what year that was but all of these things are finger quotes satan and it's like man it's just cool it's just i was gonna ask like this is primarily the comics code was like primarily made for uh like to kill quote unquote safe comics to children correct (laughs) yeah yeah pretty much um it was was very much like won't someone think of the children right it doesn't seem ill-intended like as a as a first thought but then you get into it and you're like this yeah the deep like yeah like the puritanical rooted issues of it and it's like it yuck yeah maybe pure intended but too many people have their hands on it to yeah uh, yeah awful Mm -hmm. yeah that's actually that's a very good summary but yeah to kind of like get an idea of where this all started you kind of have to go back a little bit before actual comic books to um the appearance of newspaper comics which in the u.s was like the late 1800s early 1900s Mm mm-hmm 
And newspaper comics, like, initially faced a very similar moral panic because they typically depicted, like, immigrant, poor, working-class children doing naughty things, um, like crimes and beating people up and, like, pulling cat's tails and all kinds of stuff. And upright citizens of America were like, this is trash and rotting our children's brains. <laughs> but then World War I happened and everyone was kind of like too busy to worry about that. Right. Mm. Yeah, valid priorities. So then later in the early 20th century, the exact time is fuzzy because I suck at dates, but um, like somewhere in between like the 1910s and the 1930s, they started reprinting comic book strips in like sort of comic book style, like magazine pages. And those were technically the first comic books. And um, by that time, like the bad reputation of newspaper comics had essentially been resolved and people were like, it's fine now. Um, Right. As with all new If the newspaper publishes it. Yeah. Yeah. All new things. It's going to ruin all of our lives. And then it's, Oh, it didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Especially because like, the like defining war of modernity occurred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in yeah. The when turned to meat spray by the millions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, so they were like, "Oh, I guess it's like I not guess a big deal." cartoons are fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not as much a problem as uh, rapid fire guns. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now everyone's indifferent, and mm-hmm. we got car- we got comics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, collected. Com- Comics really, yes, they were first um, reprinted newspaper comics. And then, you know, the publishers putting these out were eventually running out of shit to reprint. So they were like, let's do some new stuff. And that's kind of like how original comic books started. Um, And they became a really dominant form of mass media really quickly um, mostly because they were both widely available. They were distributed on newsstands, like wherever you got a newspaper, you could get a comic book, and they were super cheap. And, you know, they did definitely have a reputation as like being for kids, um, but like their newspaper comic predecessors, they also were really widely read by like working class people and immigrants whose um, English literacy was lower than like oh. the rest of the population hmm. i've never thought about it as a vehicle for better learning a language or just like reading because i listen to spanish music a mm-hmm. lot more now because i'm like okay the challenge of of that because i'm like mm-hmm. i gotta i gotta i got to that's crazy yeah to think about um, even that long ago oh yeah i mean like it's funny because you know, I don't know how much of it I'll get to touch on because this is one of those subjects where I could like go on and on forever. Do do <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the arguments that you see in comics now, like comics are for kids, comics aren't for kids, like comics mm-hmm. are trash, and like they will prevent kids from learning how to read. To like actually like comics improve literacy outcomes. Like these are all conversations that were happening from the very beginning. They'll happen um, when when we all blow up. Like they'll <laughs> it'll it'll never end. It'll <laughs> yes, like it's an endless useless argument. Seriously, the history of this particular subject shows anything. It's that 
this shit just keeps happening over and yes. over again yeah yeah because we keep forgetting it's about cyclical. it we love, yeah. yeah we yeah. love to repeat it i'm like i'm thinking of dramatic lines from fallout new vegas i'm like we're just gonna keep doing it over and over again mm-hmm. and i'm gonna repeat it boom so essentially the idea of comics being for kids um really prevailed for a long time from like the 1930s when like comic books really started being a thing and they were mostly like funny animal stories and things of that nature um up to the 30s which is when superheroes started taking off um and then even through the 40s but the thing is that's like we're talking about two decades so the readership of the comic books like naturally got older as the readers got older yeah first of all um second of all in the 40s in world war ii um the u.s military was actually one of the biggest buyers of comic books um because they would just buy them en masse to like send to the gis right um to you know like have something give them something to do yeah literally that yeah exactly um give them a little bit of a library Mm. right right so um basically after you know like starting um in the early 40s and then you know after the war similar to how um that period of time is really strongly associated with like the rise of noir film and like noir pulp um the same sort of thing happened in comics where um the readers were older um They were coming back from the war and like still interested in comics. Also during the war period, comics publishers were like intentionally seeking out more diverse audiences. Um, So they were actively courting women. Um, They were actively courting teen and young adult readers, which you can can see in the- more, uh, More forward thinking than I would think exactly anybody from that time period (laughs) oh yeah uh there's yeah yes there are a lot of really fun factoids that really kind of like blow up this idea that you know there's only one comics readership and it's like little white boys right because you had stuff like um romance comics which were um like marketed to women and girls and they were actually romance comics were like the second most popular after superhero comics um i think Hmm, i wonder why why Mm -hmm. maybe people wanted more romance maybe people had money to spend get those back in your local market baskets Mm -hmm. new england people Mm -hmm. and the money to spend thing is a big thing because um when comic books first like made it onto the scene in the 30s they cost 10 cents um and by the 50s they still cost 10 cents whereas (laughs) i know 10 cents we're all dying right now yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, it's like right pulps, like pulp novels started off as 10 cents. By the 50s, they increased in price to about 25 cents. And wow. like um what like a sweet. a hardcover book that was like for kids, like a juvenile hardcover that was prose, not comics, cost two dollars. How does anyone make money off that? I listen, I'm like so depressed right now because I look at well, I look at Ashley and I's uh rooms. And you see a lot of hardcovers. Die a little inside about how much money we've probably spent over well, like over time for the amount of books that we both own. We, we and I know also, you own some books. We now. could all go back in time and yeah. fuck with the timeline. Listen, and buy books I just cheap 
and then we get back and dinosaurs are real. Just accept it. It's fine. You pay your your modern. Sorry, I mean that. Didn't mean the sidebar. Didn't mean the sidebar. No, I mean it's it's real and like so like going back to romance comics. Um, around I I wrote down a couple numbers because I suck at numbers, but I wrote down the most interesting ones. Give us those numbers. Um, Yes, we love numbers. Romance comics in like around 1949, 1950 were fully 25% of the market of comic sales. Um, That is 25%. No way did my memoir not read one. I can't ask her anymore because she's gone. But she, yeah, no way. No way. Well, and um, when you take the percentage, how much, like if you had to guess at the comic sales peaked in 1952, if you had to guess, what would you say would be like the annual circulation of comics? If in it that peaked time? in, um, like, like peaked from like even compared to now, yeah, oh yeah, circulation. So, like, how many copies sold a year? Do you think? Uh, it's. I'm gonna Two be. Million? What'd you say? Two million. Way higher. Ten a million. million? A billion. A b- 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 billion? I just this turned into a cartoon. This is why people, like, quote-unquote, complain about, like, sales because they're comparing it to the 50s. Also, yeah, I'm sorry, but we weren't selling it for 10 cents. Like, we are not. It is $6 to get a number one at this point. It's fine. And I'll buy that because those creators deserve every penny. Yes, they do. Whoa. But also, think about it. It was printed on essentially newsprint paper. The paper was a lot yeah. cheaper. Um, I wish we were doing newsprint. I, I love newsprint. I do kind of want to go back to newsprint. It was newsprint. Looked, yeah. It was four color. Um, it was cheap as hell. Um, however, this will also blow your mind. Those are just the sales of the comics. Um, the comics especially for young readers was like a currency of their own oh yeah so for every comic book sold it actually reached about like five to ten readers right so if you think about the readership you're talking almost every kid in america you're talking literally you're talking math i can't even do you're talking literally 80 to 90 percent of young people in america were regularly reading comic books and now, now comics are so fucking esoteric. Yes. And it's niche. like, they're still out there, man. It's well, here's, not to point out our biggest problem uh, currently, which obviously, so we are currently recording in November, mid-November, and we are dealing with a uh, supply chain crisis, obviously, and that, which is the most surprising, and people are not taking this seriously enough, paper. Paper yeah. supply Cap- chain yeah, crisis. Yeah. People do not understand how fucking devastating this is. And like, that was not a supply chain crisis at the time because really it was food, right? Food was one of the biggest ones. Production of other things, like... Paper was rationed during wartime, actually. This was like... Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah, getting into like a a really deep sidebar, like specifically during World War II, um, publishers had paper rations. And what would happen was that publishers would start like new magazines or like new imprints under older publishers names so purely so that they could have access to the paper because if you were to make more paper yeah if you were a new publisher you got less paper than the older guys um wow. however i mean this was still like you know 
over half a century ago like mm-hmm. you know we hadn't cut down as many forests um mm, yeah <laughs> so yeah, even yeah, then yeah. you know there was just so much RIP. more paper products <sighs> being produced um yeah. but anyway so we're talking around 1952 is like the peak of comic sales superhero comics are insanely popular romance comics are insanely popular less popular but at sort of like the forefront of the minds of worry warts were things like crime e- comics ec and, comics mm, we're gonna get to ec comics, Ugh, EC I'm comics so r.i.p r.i.p ec comics it's a really big part of the picture for a number of reasons but one of those reasons is not the circulation ec comics was actually a relatively small publisher Um, compared to companies like Dell, Marvel, Disney, which had annual circulation of like 2 million copies of comics, EC annually only produced about, let me see where I had written down this number. 10. Um, about like 225,000 copies per title for science fiction, 400,000 copies, uh, uh, per title for horror. Um, it's lower yeah. than you'd think. That's lower than th- than the way people talk about it. Exactly. Very much so. Just some loud people. I Very much Well, so. I wouldn't say loud, but I would say it was probably the only access to any type of stuff like that because yes. really the internet yeah, didn't exist. So <laughs> I mean, even even me at, at 18, that reprints of EC Comics was the only access to that that I had. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they definitely like pioneered the horror genre in comics mm, specifically mm. crime comics predated them a little bit crime comics yeah. were again really popular in, like all throughout the 40s like with gis returning veterans and mm-hmm. just like young adult readers in general like crime 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 we loved Suspense. gangsters Love crime. we loved it um some of the titles that i wrote down um which i thought y'all would enjoy um were like you know there were variations of um different detective stories right so you had like true detective blah detective one of them was spicy detective oh i want to read that immediately i want to read that too i've never been able to access it but that is we'll find it we'll find it let's do a hard any listener any listener that has any access to spicy detective whether (laughs) mail it to us for free no i will pay for a scan i won't i'm not sure how much but i will offer i'll say thank you i'll be grateful Mm-hmm. Technically, mm-hmm. it should be in the uh, what's it called? The free, free public domain. domain, free domain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. public, public domain. domain. Public domain. Public domain. Yes. Technically, Sorry. give it to public me. domain. Yeah. Not quite old enough for that. Maybe if it's maybe not the, okay. Not quite. Yeah, because um, cr- well, that would have those would have started like early forties. Um, okay. the, oh. one of the most popular crime titles um was crime does not pay which launched in 1942 um a hilarious thing i can think of examples where it did Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny you say that because you know crime does not pay really played up the crime and not the not paying to the Mm -hmm. point where like on the comic book cover the word crime, crime! would take up yeah. like one third of the cover. And then yeah. in teeny tiny letters on the bottom, in a does. little black box so you couldn't see it, it says does, does not pay. Does not pay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it's yeah, a, it's, it's a, a whisper. whisper. Yeah, yeah it's a <laughs> yeah. whisper. And then it just goes crime. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is I where so, I, yeah. The lead up to obviously all of these different types of genres and like a uh, supply and demand market for these specific thematics or genres of these books. I said genres twice, sorry. Um, uh, leads up to when the comics code was established, correct? Right. Like, okay. So there are essentially a couple different like major moral panic waves related specifically to comic books. One was in the late 40s and one was in the early 50s. Um, and the sort of uh, like big boogeyman figure of that is Frederick Wortham, who wrote a famous book called Seduction of the Innocent. Um, oh boy, the poor innocent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I love this title already. Oh, like, oh yeah. Um, Seduction of the Innocent was published in, I want to say, oh, I have so many dates. <laughs> um, can't remember. 19 something. <laughs> It was, it, I want to say it was 1948. No, that's uh-huh. not right. Let me see. Is this the particular title that set off what's yeah. about to happen? Okay. Yes. Oh, no. So in um, 1947 or 1948, um, Frederick Wortham writes an article for Ladies Home Journal. Oh, sorry. It was 1953. He started his career of like, being anti-comics in 1947 um so it's kind of like these few years it's like the the church is getting involved like what is what is happening most comics people hate this guy there's it there's actually a little bit of a complicated legacy here that we can unpack a bit but essentially from like 1947 to like 1954 this guy who is a psychiatrist who specifically treats you know what was then the official term juvenile delinquents um (laughs) the face that liana made um sorry i had to look so like like, yeah i've been called that too many times and i'm like Mm, i get it uh as a child floridian you know yeah yeah as a teen drinker yeah Yeah. (laughs) like mm. so um this guy basically he's a psychiatrist he specializes in diagnosing and treating what are termed juvenile delinquents in harlem um about 25 percent of his patients are white kids and the remainder are like black and brown kids like poor kids in new york and what he was noticing and became concerned by as he's treating these kids is that almost all of them read comic books and they love crime comic books and they love superhero comic books. And that's why they're fucked. Keep in mind, as we said earlier, like literally 90% of children are reading comic books and it's the cheapest form of entertainment around. So like, yeah, of course these poor, like poverty, impoverished children. Yeah. It's like kids, kids doing crimes, kids doing crimes wearing pants, and they're like, "Yeah, oh yeah." It's interesting that you wear pants, and they're like, "Yeah, (laughs) most kids wear pants," and they're like, "But pants are a bit of a crime starter." (laughs) Like it's the same shit, different but same. Pants are like comics. In that way, that yes. is, in that I way. hate this so much. It's the best I, I can do right now. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 1953, he writes this article um, in Ladies Home Journal, which is like essentially like 
do you know where your children are? It's like comics are the scourge of the family home. Um, Previously in 1948, a different guy, John Mason Brown, who is a literary critic, famously coined the term um, of comics being the marijuana of the nursery. (laughs) That sounds awesome. I know. Great. (laughs) Um, So essentially these few years, like, the church is getting involved. The parent teacher associations are getting involved. The librarians are getting involved. They're all saying like comics essentially like give kids the ideas to like do crimes and violence. Um, Comics are the reason why like, you know, the children of Harlem are like beating each other up and stuff. Oh yeah. Not due to lack of resources Mm -hmm. for sure. No way Mm -hmm. could it be. Yeah. Well, we deny them. Yeah. Yeah. So then the following year, early in 1954, Wortham publishes the book Seduction of the Innocent. And it's all about these kids that he treats who like are, you know, legitimately in his clinic. Oh, this for, is like, like a some paper stuff. This is oh, like a book paper. Oh, it's a like, yeah. book. I remember, oh. the, name. I remember oh. the name of this book and that's all I know. So he is a legitimate psychiatrist. Um yeah, but, but the academia. Book, just... the, the book is written for a, a popular readership and it's written mm-hmm. in a salacious way. And it very yeah. quickly becomes a bestseller. In the first six months of its printing, it sold 16,000 copies. Wow. Um, the leading like literary newspapers are calling it like the most important book of the year. Bloody sure, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of so, of course they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we get to spring 1954. Um, which is when the subcommittee on juvenile delinquency of the state or sorry, of the Senate judiciary committee holds three days of public hearings, which are televised publicized in the newspapers on the radio. You can actually hear archival recordings of these hearings. Doesn't Um, sound like a bureaucratic waste of time to me. Sounds very important and necessary. mm -hmm. That's (laughs) why we're doing that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we're not fucked. Mm -hmm. And if you if you think about the context of all this, like this is this is one of like a series of things like this happening. For starters, we're well into the Cold War now, so everything is like boo communism. Um, You had in like way earlier in the twenties and thirties, you had the formation of the Hayes Code, which is essentially the predecessor to the comics code, but for movies. Um, In uh, 1947, you had the Hollywood blacklist hearings where um, basically people like Walt Disney and Ronald Reagan were testifying before the Senate that like uh, their fellow Hollywood workers were all communists. I could roll my eyes so hard. I get a migraine from that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wrote this one down because I have a special hatred for Ronald Reagan. He was at the time the president of the Screen Actors Guild, and he testified before the Senate that a small clique within his union was using communist-like tactics in attempting to steer union policy. Um, He didn't know if those members were communists or not, but in any case, he thought the union had them under control. I could make I could make a sweeping a statement for comics and e the podcast that is fuck reagan i think yeah. we'd be fine yeah with that. oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. absolutely oh, fuck that guy. yeah 
This is a little spicy detective, but I would throw in Walt Disney too in nineteen. Oh no, I've been saying fuck Disney for a while. Yeah. In nineteen forty one, Walt Disney himself took out an ad in Variety magazine that said that um quote unquote communist agitation was behind the famous cartoonist and animator strike. Controversial yet brave. Let's support (laughs) our animators. Enjoy enjoy your mouse bullshit. I think Walt Disney has always been and will always be a rat freak and a piece of shit. Yes. And uh, what a way to start a multi conglomerate. I mean, um, as someone who has, I can't wait for that. Technically, maybe worked for Disney. I at some point. I don't. (laughs) I just think that like the 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 conglomerate of uh, of a monopoly is not great. Yeah. So, I think uh, you know, just uh, support your animators, support the people making your uh, movies that you watch for one one hour that they spend an entire like three years doing so. I yeah, support the animators. I look forward skills, to my addendum to this. Support uh, Screen Actors Guild. Support, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. It's not hard to do. My mm-hmm. favorite thing is I hope that Disney has to make Mickey Mouse public domain. Because I cannot wait for all the stories about Mickey Mouse getting like pegged and like being <laughs> nasty. Well, you I know, that, you went you know that Mickey Mouse is literally the reason why um, copyright lasts for a hundred years, right? Yes, that's yeah. why I can't wait for it to be at the point where it can't last anymore. Matt's and, like, and I need to live up until that point. I, I will sure make myself I can... by sheer force of will survive long enough to to pen. I won't draw it. But I will write, because I'm a writer today. I will write a tale of Mickey Mouse being the sloppiest he's ever been. (laughs) Sloppy is a great... (laughs) Sloppy Mouse. That's his name. Sloppy Mouse. Okay, so... We're back on track now. Just just because we're... we're, This is probably the most educational episode we've we've had in quite some time. That's why I had to think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, So... I want to make sure that we wrap up really well and okay. said at least the key parts. Yeah. Okay. So and... we, I did a, I spent a lot of time in the background. Let me get into the meat of it real fast. Meat. We had yeah. these, we had these Senate hearings in 1954. Frederick Wortham himself comes on the stand and basically makes the argument that comics are corrupting the youth. Um, that's the second day of the hearings. The later that afternoon, they have William Gaines, who is the publisher of EC Comics who um, inherited EC Comics from his dad. His dad founded EC Comics as educational comics and initially printed stuff like Bible stories and like ancient history and stuff like that. He died in a boat accident in 1947, which is how William got the mantle. Wow, okay. Uh (laughs) And then um, in 1950, basically, William decides like, these Bible stories and these history comics like aren't really selling. I'm going to retool the whole line. So that's when he introduces the really famous horror comics like Tales from the Crypt, Hell Vault yeah. of Horror. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. All the shit that made me feel human. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and so we're all mummies. Yep. I've always and, been a mummy. Yeah. <laughs> and so Gaines is brought to the stand um, to you know, essentially defend himself against charges of like corrupting the youth. And at the, keep in mind, this guy is at this point in time, 32 years old. 
and he's got a fire in his ass. He's feeling really self-righteous. So he's representing himself before the Senate. He's like, oh, fuck a lawyer. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna on his side, but that's here. a worse decision. Mm-hmm. And I'm well, actually, he probably didn't have money to well, fucking pay for one. I, you maybe, know, maybe. I don't know what lawyers I think he probably could time. have afforded a lawyer. I think yeah. he really didn't want to. And you find a way to afford a lawyer um, in that. If you don't mind, I'm actually going to read a little excerpt because it's pretty fucking hilarious um, and, like, kind of indicative of, like, the attitude that he had coming up to the stand. Um, So, essentially, he comes up to the stand and he gives this little speech, like, um, you know, hello to the court, like, I am not responsible for child murder. Um, And then... You're right. uh, And then the Senate... Um, starts showing him, you know, and showing, you know, the committee, like, um, some of the covers of his comics. So the first one that they show is from Crime Suspense Stories, number 22. Um, and I can, I can send y'all like, you know, the JPEG of this or whatever, if you want to like have it in the show notes or whatever. The NFT of Crime Suspense Stories. No, no NFTs, only JPEGs. Um, only. <laughs> but so yeah the first third of the cover is like crime in big letters and then you know the image you have below is like a torso shot of like a guy and in relatable. his right hand he's holding an axe relatable which is covered in blood the blood is black not red however still, it's still obviously then. blood in his left hand he is holding the head of a lady and then not relatable mm-hmm, and then in the bottom left corner is like the lady's like legs sticking out of the not frame. relatable either yeah so um the senator uh senator kefauver i don't even know how to say I'm sure he's a good person that's yeah that never guy done what would be that considered crime guy. yeah <laughs> he sure says, he's never done anything bad don't love that. he says here's your may 22 issue this seems to be a man with a bloody axe holding a woman's head up which has been severed from her body do you think that is in good taste that's william Gaines like- says Yes, sir, I do, for the cover of a horror comic. A cover in bad taste, for example, might be defined as holding the head a little higher so that the neck could be seen dripping blood from it and moving the body over a little further so that the neck of the body could be seen to be bloody. The senator says, you have blood coming out of her mouth. Mr. Gaines says, a little. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I agree with him, but what, what year is this again? Uh, this is 1954. See, that's the problem. He should be in 2021, and yeah. then he's fine. And Do then great. it's honestly yeah. like he's in court for not doing more violence. Uh, <laughs> oh. He's right. His, his market he's right, is. But uh... I get why he's doomed to fail. His market is older readers. So, like, yeah, you know. 70 year definitely old. definitely kids were buying and reading this shit there's absolutely no doubt about it but yeah. in the defense of the publishers you know on the covers in the interior pages they're like this Not is for this is a more adult story yeah you know? but then yeah mm-hmm. yeah you're getting your your people who are like yeah give me five cents and then you can have this book <laughs> because five cents <laughs> is and also, it's yeah. like you're a 10 year old and you see like some sexy lady with her head cut off like Sorry. I will say yeah. 
I've never been a child and been like, oh, I love when a woman doesn't have her head. That's always <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. You know what? <laughs> Call me a weirdo. That just seems. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Well, but yes, you know... yeah. Either way, it's like, that's intense. And that's shit you don't see normally. Right. There's mm-hmm. no Google. You can't Google absolute bonkers nonsense you can't just type that in to google yeah and find shit like that right so um kids are definitely reading this stuff because the kids that were the missing in his clinic are specifically mm-hmm. you know talking about stories they read and liana's gonna love this one the big like the the big red flag banner argument that he has is that batman and robin are making little boys gay <laughs> yeah Boom. He's like, he's like, Batman right, lives in this fancy it. house. He's got these yeah. giant vases with flowers everywhere. He gets hurt, and little Robin is like in the bed with him, and the little boys are Says, being what? introduced to homosexuality <laughs> in this manner. Yes, and here's the like here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. He includes excerpts of um like a kid in his clinic like talking specifically about batman and he makes it sound like this kid is saying that batman made him gay however here's the tea here's the really juicy shit in 2010 for the kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) in 2010 um wortham's like whole notes and body of work were like became publicly available released oh yes oh yeah this academic named carol tilly starts going through his stuff mostly because she as an academic is like interested in like the gatekeeping of like children's media and that type of thing and she essentially finds out that wortham like falsified evidence for his of course of course yeah. it did. Wow, that's so you crazy. Can't, you can't. I would have never imagined. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but like, uh, so the reason why I freaked out about the whole academia portion for a book is like, you can't trust one one individual writing an academic book. It has to be a group of individuals, typically for a trustworthy. Slam in that desk. Peer reviewed. I am very. You need peer review. You need like uh, the, you my academic not have an side inherent is coming bias. Out, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, good. So yes. glad that that was released and he was uh, fucking shown as a fraud. What, a, what an asshole. Drag his ass. Now, yeah. it's it's not like the facts are the kid that he was talking about, first of all, was a teenager. Like the the boy that he talks about in the book is actually two boys, one of whom is 16, Double one of whom boy. is 17. They are in a relationship. They've been diddling each other since they were like 10. Like that is the facts. And they actually state in like this interview that he has in this clinical context that, yeah, they kind of like Batman, but they actually think the Submariner is gayer. <laughs> Sam! <laughs> I, used I, mean, I used to read Batman, but like, that's whatever. I'm that's more not, into yeah. the Submariner. Yeah. That doesn't have enough gay context for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, would that we could have more. Yeah. And if only they were around now. Yeah. And then he talks about um, this other girl who um, was, like, a young Black girl who, like, really loved um, Sheena the Jungle Queen. 
um and she was like she's like i love she like lives in this whole jungle by herself she like beats guys up and like no one bothers her or tells her what to do and so he kind of like includes this without context in his book like oh like society has failed this girl who wishes to do violence but what she just wants to chill out in she wants to have a big yard basically yeah you ever just like live with a whole bunch of siblings and like be able to close your door no that doesn't exist like come on like she just probably just wants to like vibe out what do you mean you don't like the suburbs and he intentionally omits mentioning that like she um lived in like a poor neighborhood where she witnessed her primary adult caregiver get like violently mugged and stuff like Jesus that. Oh my yeah. god. But, like See? yeah, of course yeah. she enjoys the power fantasy of like a women. Yeah, yeah exactly. Everything. Yeah. So anyway, as a response to this these shenanigans, um there's this whole public outcry like we got to do something about these horrible comics. So in September of 1954, a few months after these hearings, the big, like, the executives of the top four comics publishers, which is, like, Marvel, DC, MLJ, which later became Archie Comics, and another one, Harvey, I can't remember. Um, they all form the uh, CMAA. I can't remember what it stands for, but essentially, like, oh, yeah, the Comics Magazine Association of America, and they publish the Comics Code, which is, like, a several pages long requirement like yeah yeah, it's like a legislature of like yeah i mean i wish i had time to like read everything that's in it because some of it is just so crazy but yeah you can't have werewolves and draculas you can't have you should come on for a secondary bonus episode where you list the entire uh list just do a dramatic oh we would love that so much yeah a 40 minute (laughs) absolutely Yes. Where you just say things that are Draculas. Uh-huh. We are going to do that. Okay, Absolutely. good. Great. Um, uh, and, you know, to me, like, you know, this being sort of like my pet topic, to me, it's kind of a self-own, right? Because, like, these publishers were so afraid of government censorship that they were like, we ourselves are going to self-censor. And we're going to mm-hmm. impose these rules. Um now those big publishers were essentially their sales were essentially not affected because they they made the rules yeah Yeah. they had the biggest circulation to begin with and they were mostly doing like superhero stuff and you know directly following this is like the rise of the silver age of comics Mm -hmm. which is like fantastic four and original x-men and you know um uh well i don't know i'm like not as well versed in the dc side of things but that kind of stuff i don't know anything yeah <laughs> if you know um, two you things, said silver you know age and matt and i just like glazed out like <laughs> no you say silver age and i'm like heard of it and oh. that's the best I can do. Yeah. <laughs> um but the smaller publishers which going back to what you were talking about matt like as soon as we started talking about this you were like ec comics r.i.p they loom large because William Gaines was the scapegoat. He went up there yeah. and was trying to yes. defend himself. Yes, that's, and yeah. his publisher was like, his comics were the nasty ones that they were showing in the hearings. I thought you were going to. All right, I'll start it then. Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> My name is Bob, and I am a word bro. 
And my name is Kevin on The Other Word Bro. And you can listen to our podcast, The Word Bros, at thewordbros.com. So check it out. Oh, and while you're doing that, we want to say you're check listening. Out Comics Inebriated with Liana Kangas and Matt Emans, uh, I think Wednesday nights. I don't want to like get that. into specifics because I'm not aware of when they do it. <laughs> So let's just leave it as vague as possible and say you're listening to comics, comma, inebriated, period. I like the comics, comma. Like, I think that, that the alliteration there that that provides um, is going to be difficult for inebriated folks. This thing can only be 30 seconds long, Kevin, so don't talk too much <laughs> about punctuation. Okay, my bad. Okay, so EC Comics. Right. It's, it's, a, it's one of the smaller publishers. And that's ultimately who ended up being most affected, negatively affected by the mm -hmm. comics code. So like right after the comics code was established, EC refused to join on principle. They were like, fuck this hypocritical bullshit. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. That's um, why I said they're busted because I'm on the side of EC Comics. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm, I now realized I do know what this is about and I stand by what I said. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, that's fair. And I'm, you know, I'm high key on EC sides. EC mm -hmm. side too and like it's what sick. comics Excellent. fan isn't you know yeah um, but yeah EC refused to join um along with um Dell and Gilberton who you know Died. RIP no longer exists. can I can I do can I say something though mm -hmm. is like I think that instead of like peer pressure or like senate pressure or like government pressure of like censoring comics and stuff like that is that the publishers should have chosen or should have had an open discussion about whether or not that they fit within the guidelines of a comics code. And then that was the thing, but because it all seems like a lot of pressure of like making publishers join or be like, yeah, you have to have comics code. Otherwise you can't sell books. Yeah. Like, I, that's fuck up. I agree with you, but I feel like that nuance couldn't have existed then. Well, I agree, but like, yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, like, you know, you're having this big moral panic. Also, I did not mention this, but um, in the lead up to this Senate committee, there are tons of local ordinances being passed banning the sale mm. of comic books. So you have yeah. cities literally passing laws being like, these comic books are fucked up, like it's illegal to sell them now. So essentially the reason why the giant cell phone of the comics code happened is because the big publishers were like, this is going to kill our money. Yeah. Sorry about that. I should have muted my computer. I have it yell the hour at me all the time so I don't forget what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, that, personally. Yeah, I Someone's would die without it. But, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're protecting their profits. Um, they're like, we can't have all these cities telling us we can't sell our product. So we're going to cater to the whims of the concerned mothers of America and bully all the other smaller publishers into following along. Um, like, <laughs> clearly this is like not the unbiased version of this lecture. Um, but regardless, EC refuses to join. They retool mm -hmm. their entire line in 1955 um, to be That's in compliance so with the code. And none of those titles last more than a year. Um, William, William Gaines essentially throws up his hands um, stops focusing on publishing comics and turns mad, which was originally a full color comics only publication into 
a black and white text and comics magazine that we now know it today and was very successful with Mad Magazine. I did not realize that that, no, that was him. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, so then the coda to this is, um, you know, the Comics Code Authority essentially like really, um, you know, very strictly regulated this kind of stuff for roughly 20 years. Um, of course, there was favoritism involved. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, people, really? people obviously, yeah. No way was there bias in, mm-hmm. in a bureaucratic institution. That's crazy. Right. Like certain things would technically start getting published under the radar. And then the first major change came in 1971. Stan Lee wanted to publish a story where there was a character who used drugs, and the Comics Code Authority was like, nope. And then um, Stan Lee, who was not then the publisher of Marvel, convinced his publisher to publish it anyway without the Comics Code seal Mm -hmm. and um, was successful. That story was in Amazing Spider-Man numbers 96 through 98. Um, It had a story where there's like um, it's talking about like, you know, the dangers of drug use and whatnot. Mm -hmm. His thinking was like... Sure, I man. think that yeah. the popular opinion on depicting drug use has changed since 1954. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The popular opinion on you don't on, say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is after is much more chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is after a decade of alternative and underground comics. Yeah. Oh yeah, with the X at the end. Yeah, uh-huh. of course. That's where. That's what I came up on. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, those issues sell like gangbusters and then in 1972 the comics code gets adjusted they officially lifted the ban on frightening creatures such as werewolves and vampires um (laughs) werewolves and draculas uh, i like the idea that the legislature legislature says draculas instead of vampires (laughs) i i put that in myself because i think it's funny i know i i i want it to be that (laughs) i i believe it yeah it's draculas they name drop dracula but they understand He's that he is simply scary. one of the vampires. I've seen Gary Oldman dressed up as Dracula. It's scary. It is Listen. scary. But handsome. But also kind of sexy. Yeah. Also kind of like in an ugly... It scares sexy. you a little, but also, you know... Gives me really hope. Ex- I'm like, I can be both yeah. ugly and handsome. This is very true. Um, but yeah, so 1972 is like the first major change to the code. Um, it really... Um, Comics Alliance published a, a short pretty interesting little synopsis of the comics code a few years back. And they said um, the topic became a, uh, the code became a topic of joking and derision among creators. Mm -hmm. Most famously when Jim Starlin and Al Milgram revised the seal to read cosmic code authority on a 1975 issue of strange tales. Um, By the eighties, both DC and Marvel were regularly releasing titles without the comics code seal the code was again revised and restrictions lessened. In 2001, Marvel drops the code entirely, followed by DC, and finally Archie in 2011, which signaled the demise of the organization. Um, by 1989, the tone of the code had essentially changed to like, we're going to promote healthy lifestyles as desirable, and we're still going to depict stuff like drug use and like dark stuff, but we're going to make sure that the readers know that like we don't condone it or depicted as desirable and um here's the funny thing so um a lot of this stuff i learned when i was at portland state taking a comics history class with andrea gilroy and um 
preparing for this, I was looking for my notes from that class. I couldn't find them. So I couldn't find the citation for this funny little fact. But essentially, I don't even know if it's really a fact or a rumor. But like, basically, by like the late 90s, early 2000s, like, in order to like, have the comic seal, you know, you kind of had to send dues to the Comics Code Authority. Yeah, essentially, of course, like, basically, essentially, someone figured out that there was like, literally no one at the comics code authority because no one was cashing the checks <laughs> oh so my god it's just, it's just an empty institution it's a concept it's 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 it, it literally yeah yeah i was gonna say do you feel like anything positive came out of the comics code existing whatsoever well i mean i would say that the positives aren't I, certainly there were like countercultural movements in comics sure. that arose partially because of the comics code. Absolutely. But I do th- like alternative comics and underground comics, which like, I'm not even that big of like a comics with an ex person. Like mm. I respect the important history of it. And some yeah. of it is funny and like Absolutely. the art style is cool, but like some it's of it's not... garbage. Yeah. Some of it's no. garbage, but that's, that's comics though. And that's yes. like the reason why the comics code came about because there were so many interesting things being done in the form and there was a lot of trash and that's okay. It's mass media. It's a reflection of our collective id. And I think that ultimately that's fine because we're human beings and we're discerning people and we can take the good and leave the bad and, you know, form our own. I think that that is the best scope of what Mm -hmm. the comics code is. And I, I feel like that's a great place. For yeah. us to get it. Like that is perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And Nailed because it. we are, yeah. you know, a little short on time, we usually <laughs> so for honestly, this is probably, like I said, one of the most informational episodes we've yes. ever done. And educational and truly comics history. Like this is educational. The drunk most educational um drunk. entertainment uh of history that we have heard in quite some time. And I cannot wait to hear uh, literally the recordings from that Senate hearing. Like, that's oh insane. yeah, I'll send you the link. Um, we're gonna to put learn in, how to conjure uh, ghosts so I can smack yeah. the ghosts of those senators um, <laughs> with my so, my iron plated fist. Every episode we well in season one, every episode we used to ask all of our guests like how we have met. And yeah. like, tip- we actually stopped doing that. However, because, because you and I met. technically know each other. Um, would you like to tell um, our listeners how how we met? I guess. Yeah, I'm. I am pretty sure that the first time we met in person was at the Wickdiff party at New York Comic Con in 2019. I was there. I agree. Yeah, Matt was there technically Didn't meet too. You. So yeah, we were all in a physical existing meet space for yeah. probably one hour. Yeah, and like probably the best meat space there ever was. Honestly, mm. I, oh, I, yeah. I we all looked so good. Like, really? can I we talk about that? Yeah, I looked Dang. middling. You looked exactly you as you probably... do now with a lesser beard. Like, honestly, <laughs> no, I'm better now. Everything's yeah, maybe, but I'm just saying deeper. your beard was shorter. So. Beard got shorter, shoulders got yeah. nothing changed. <laughs> um. Thank you for that. Uh, I was going to say the same thing. So obviously, like I was just saying for listeners that are curious, 
Um, I actually have a really adorable photo of Ashley and I and a couple of uh, some of my friends, some people I actually don't even know, um, (laughs) on my desktop wallpaper from that party because it was, number one, one of the most crazy epic parties. Number two, one of our close friends uh, kind of threw it and it was incredible. Best DJing, best best music, whatever. Um, but I just thought it was funny that when we started recording, I was like, oh, I see two of your faces right now. This is really weird. <laughs> like really funny. One really gorgeous and glam and the other one just kind of like post-pandemic. Both great. No, per- both great. Both, both perfect. Great. <laughs> incredible. Um, so to give a little bit of a backstory to our listeners, um, can you talk about who you are in comics, what you do, and what, have you done? Um, what do you have what coming are you up? What responsible yeah. for? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Respond- yeah. Yes. Make it sound What would the Comics Ouch. Code Authority be upset with you for? Ooh, okay, I got plenty, plenty for that. <laughs> um, so I am primarily a writer of comics. Um, I um, got my start working with a group of friends um, in Austin, and we have a blog called Pomegranate Magazine and oh, yeah. a micro press called Palm Press. Um, we put out like one anthology annually pretty much so um that's how i got my start writing comics um our most recent project with palm you may know is comrade himbo mm-hmm. um yeah we had a super successful kickstarter this year and i backed that one excellent Hot tip by the time this podcast comes out probably the books will be available for sale to people who didn't back the kickstarter so you missed um, out on the kickstarter which is woe for you however which is woe it for can you, be rectified yes we will have plenty extra to sell palmmag.com palm-mag.com um i also recently by recently i mean like six months a couple ago. years ago like wrote a story for um, Manana, the all Latinx um, yeah. sci-fi oh, anthology. Yes, 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 yes. I'm really excited for that one to come out. You, um, if you go to Power and Magic Press's website, you can buy the digital download. Um, the physical books have not yet arrived, but should be soon. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I also have a comicsy day job. But I don't like to talk about it, mostly because I don't want the customers to find me. Don't mention it. Yeah, don't mention yeah it. please don't mention <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, just be known as this like, mysterious aura in comics. Yeah. I, Amongst well, you're already writing say, I hope you enjoy, enjoy your day job. I love That's my it. day job. Yeah. Good. I love my day job, um, but I do not don't tell us what it is. want the people who write emails to it to know that it's me. <laughs> if that makes sense. Good. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> yes um <laughs> and um i also just want to shout out um my friend andrea gilroy who was my comics history teacher at portland state a couple years ago and now owns the comic book shop books with pictures ug <gasps> oh shit okay. that's so great Hell yeah. oh my god so Demi's we love books with pictures yeah i love yeah genuinely yeah. both the shop and the concept yeah yes. Um, so like huge shout out to Andrea and Books of Pictures Eugene. Um, they did a big uh, pre-order for Kelly Sue DeConnick and Phil Jimenez um, Wonder Woman Amazon Historia. Um, and I think they might be doing more things like that in the future where you can pre-order and they will ship it to you no matter where you are. That is um, awesome. 
yeah and they're just an amazing wonderful feminist comic book shop run by beautiful people so andrea if you're listening thank you thank you thanks bestie (laughs) (laughs) i think that's so great and honestly like we we had such a great time with you coming on the podcast like i had no idea what to expect because like most of the time when we're hanging out it's in silent silent co-working yes. all the time so i was like oh my god we get to finally have drinks and hang out so I, thank you for coming on thank you so and much thank for, you for me. making me uh have have a moment of conviction where i started out saying it was busted and then you were like, why is it <laughs> yeah busted? you had to make him second guess you challenged stuff, me you know? and then i was like good. maybe i don't know anything and then we started yeah. talking about it and i'm like i agree with my earlier self I yeah, think I the do hope code is busted. Yeah, I hope that all three of us confused all listeners into a journey of what you now think about the comics code. So I hope I we hope, leave you with that. I hope yes. all our listeners. And I'll, have I'll a- drop you some of the uh, the primary sources so that you can Incredible. decide on your own without the filter of inebriation. Listen to me. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you listeners. so much for coming on. This has Thank been you, awesome. Ashley, yeah. Thank you yeah. guys. It was so much fun.